Good morning, Faith Church. I'm excited as we launch our new series, Back to the 90s, to introduce not only a guy who is our executive pastor here at Faith Church, but a guy who's an incredible leader, a gifted communicator, and when we need him to be, he can even pull off some amazing singing. Faith Church, will you stand to your feet and welcome Pastor Adam Gooch. What's up? That's a tough intro to follow, I'll be honest. You guys sit down. Come on, if you know the 90s, I'll just go ahead and like, you can cut it out, quit it. Just... What, what? Like Pastor said, my name is Adam, the executive pastor here, and I'm so excited to be with you as we kick off this Back to the 90s series. So welcome everybody here in Florence. Welcome everybody online joining us wherever you are. The 90s is the greatest decade, despite what Pastor AJ says. It's the greatest decade of all time. I don't care what anybody says, but if you're here and you would say you're a child of the 90s, raise your hand. I need to know my people. See, this is my service. Early service, they will be honest, they were a different generation. I won't tell you which one, but they didn't appreciate the 90s like they should have. So see, I, I spent from six years old to 16 years old in the 90s. So basically, it was like my entire journey through childhood, becoming the person I was going to be. Like the 90s was everything. The 90s was incredible. You had the best music there was. Come on, right? You see, we got a few people. You had, you had the, the rise of grunge music that officially killed 80s metal hair bands. Right, thank you, no more tight pants and long hair. You had Nirvana and Pearl Jam, you went into like the Chili Peppers, you had Green Day, you had the Foo Fighters, like we can just keep going on and on. You had so many incredible rock bands. You, any eight like 90s country fans out there, anybody? There's a few of you, see 90s country, you know it was good? Because I don't even have to give you like last names, I can just give you a list of first names and you'll know who I'm talking about. Like you got Garth, you got George, you got Reba, you got Shania. I don't have to give you last names. We just know who they are because it was the best generation. It was the best decade of music. You didn't just have great music in the 90s. You had the best movies of the 90s. So much so that in today, 2022, we just have to keep remaking all the old movies because they were so good. You had Jurassic Park, right? Toy Story, still getting light out of all those, right? Just keep remaking. You had movies like Shawshank Redemption and The Sandlot, Schindler's List. Keep going through the list. Comedy was king in the 90s. You had the Adam Sandler run, Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore, Waterboy, come on. Then you had, you had the Jim Carrey run. You had Dumb and Dumber and Liar Liar and Ace Ventura, like incredible, the mask, throw it out there, right? Chris Farley, anybody? Come on, like 90s was, comedy was king. It was incredible. Top Gun was 80s, I'm sorry, can't have that. We're not going there. It's a great movie, you're right. That was 80s though, very good movie, but it doesn't beat the 90s. You had the best TV in the 90s. You had Friends, Full House, Stay by the Bell, Seinfeld. Like we can just keep going through the list of how incredible the 90s was. The 90s changed everything. The 90s gave us the rise of mobile phones, Microsoft. Like you wouldn't have the internet if it wasn't for the 90s, right? Imagine where you would be without cell phones and the internet today. You can thank the 90s for that. So many things changed in the 90s. You know, every single decade has those moments in time 
that you look back on and, and if you were alive for those events, those moments that you just remember where you were. Like if you were alive um, when JFK was assassinated, right? Like people remember that. That was a defining moment. If you saw the moon landing happen, you remember that. For those um, a little bit older, if you were alive when September 11th happened, you remember that like key moment in history. The 90s was full of those moments. You had things like the Oklahoma City bombing, right? I can still remember that taking place. I've actually been to the site where the Oklahoma City bombing took place and there's still this like, you can almost feel this tangible difference on that site like it's something different, right? Like same thing with, with the September 11th bombing. It's just like something happened in the atmosphere when that event took place. You've got events like Columbine, right? They completely changed the face of our culture as we know it, these events that you couldn't believe were happening. I, I can remember being a kid and, and watching TV and, and watching the siege in Waco, Texas happen. And I remember like seeing that take place and I had so many questions and I didn't understand. I, I remember maybe you guys saw the footage. There was a one event that you saw these helicopters, right, with the video cameras rolling and there was this white Bronco traveling down Interstate 405 in California, right? And you saw the Bronco and then you saw what seemed like hundreds of police cars chasing this Bronco down the interstate, right? We knew now it was O.J. Simpson and the Bronco and it would become known as the trial of the century where O.J. Simpson, the superstar athlete, had been charged with the murder of his ex-wife, Nicole Brown Simpson, and her best friend, Ron Goldman. And for the better part of the next year, year and a half after that event took place, we as, as a people watched. And that trial, it changed everything. It changed how we see law and order. It changed how we see celebrities. Like when it first came out that, that O.J. Simpson was being charged with, with these heinous acts, like nobody could believe it because he's O.J., right? He, he was the athlete that so many people grew up looking up to. He was a hero, there's no way he could do such a thing. And then as you kind of watch the trial take place, all of a sudden you, you saw the, the society as a whole become fragmented. There were, there were so many people that were like, there's no way he didn't do it. OJ's innocent. And then there was this whole other group of people, this other population that was like, this dude's gonna get away with murder. Eventually, regardless of what side of the aisle you landed on, was he guilty, was he innocent? He was, in, he was found innocent. Maybe you remember the Johnny Cochran famous speech, right? If it don't fit, you must acquit. And they did. OJ was found innocent. And it changed everything. That trial sparked an interest in, in true crime that is still alive and well today. Like this generation had Johnny and Amber, right? The 90s had OJ. And every single one of us, we were glued to our TV. Names like Johnny Cochran, Robert Shapiro, Robert Kardashian, right? You can thank OJ for the Kardashians. That's where they came from, if you didn't know. If you just wonder, did they pop up from somewhere? No? Incredible. You see, the, the OJ Simpson case, this trial of the century, didn't just change how we see celebrities and law and order and the courtroom itself, but the OJ case, it changed how we see justice. It gave us a different framework of how we can see and relate to this idea of justice. See, justice in our world today is, is something we hear a lot about. You can't turn on the news, you can't open up your internet browser without seeing something relating to this idea 
of justice. And unfortunately, in many cases, we've overcomplicated justice, and in many ways, we've oversimplified justice. Justice in its most simple of terms is this idea of making things right. Justice is making things right. You see, we live in a fallen world. We live in a broken world where things are messed up. They're not the way God intended. They're not the way he initially designed. It's broken. And I know it's kind of difficult to say in our culture because people don't like hearing it, but the truth is God has a standard and there is a such thing as right and wrong. There is a such thing as truth and lies, good and evil, just and unjust. The question that we have to tackle as Christ followers is what do we do? What role do we play in justice? How do we engage in this most critical of conversations in our world today? We're gonna look today as we're in the Back to the 90s series. We're gonna dive into Psalms 94 today. Pick up reading in verse one. The psalmist writes, O Lord, the God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, let your glorious justice shine forth. Arise, O judge of the earth, give the proud what they deserve. How long, O Lord, how long will the wicked be allowed to gloat? How long will they speak with arrogance? How long will these evil people boast? They crush your people, Lord, hurting those you claim as your own. They kill widows and foreigners and they murder orphans. Verse seven, says, the Lord isn't looking, they say, and besides, the God of Israel doesn't care. The psalmist responds, and he says, think again, you fools. When will you finally catch on? Is he deaf, the one who made your ears? Is he blind, the one who formed your eyes? He punishes the nations. Won't he also punish you? He knows everything. Doesn't he also know what you are doing? For the Lord knows people's thoughts, and he knows that they are worthless. You see, our role as Christians, how do we engage in this conversation? I'm going to pull out three lessons today from Psalms 94. The first thing that we have to do as Christ followers is we have to perceive injustice. We have to perceive injustice. You see, there's a problem in the church world, and it, I'm not really sure when it started, and I know it's, it's well-meaning by nature, but Christians for so long have bought into this idea that, that to live a life of faith we have to pretend, right? We, we have to pretend that bad things aren't happening because God's in control. Like somehow things can't be bad and God be in control at the same time. Maybe you've heard Christians, we run into this a lot in my profession, that, that they've gotten a, a diagnosis, right? The doctors have told them something they didn't wanna hear. They're sick, they're hurting. And, and you'll hear well-meaning Christians say this, I'm not sick, I'm healed while they're running a fever of 104 and they can't get out of bed. And I understand, I'm not making light and I'm not making fun of, of people trying to speak in faith and believe. But you see, faith isn't not seeing what's in front of you. Faith is believing that what's in front of you isn't final. See, David, when he, when he took on the, the giant Goliath, he didn't pretend that the giant wasn't there. He just knew that his God was bigger than the giant. The nation of Israel, when they were going to take the promised land, they didn't pretend that Jericho, this fortified city, wasn't standing directly in their path. They didn't bury their heads in the sands. They just knew that God was gonna provide a way through because he, they knew 
he was gonna meet his promises. Moses, as he was leading the nation of Israel, right? Fleeing Pharaoh and the Egyptian army, when he came up on the Red Sea, they didn't pretend that the sea wasn't there. They just had the faith to know God's gonna work it out. See, you don't have to pretend. You have to perceive. You have to see. You have to be aware of what's happening around you. That's the definition of to perceive. To perceive means to become aware or conscious. You have to be aware of your surroundings. You see, we as the church have a perception problem. And it's not just how the world sees us. That's a different message. The issue we have is how we see the world. Let me ask a question. How aware are you of what's going on in the world around you? Really aware. See, there's two camps of Christians. You've got this one group over here that are so focused on the here and now. They're so focused on what Fox News tells them. They're so dialed in to listening to CNN and all that, that the talking heads are, are feeding down their throats, that they're so focused on what's happening around them that they completely forget that we as Christ followers are called to be kingdom-minded, that with God all things are possible, that he's the overcomer, that we don't have to be held down by what we see around us. They're all, they're completely earth-focused. Then you got another camp of Christians that is totally heaven-focused. All they concern themselves with is, is when's Jesus coming back? And that's all they pray, God come back, God come fix it, take us out of here. And they, they get so caught up in the prophecy and the end times. They're so caught up in, in the heavenly that they completely ignore and they don't perceive what's happening around them. And guess what? Both of those groups are wrong. We're called to be aware of our surroundings. Have you ever heard the statement that ignorance is bliss? That's true. Ignorance is bliss. The problem for us is while ignorance is bliss, it's not blessed. God never calls us in scripture to be ignorant of what's happening around us. Ignorance, anytime you see that word spoken of in scripture, it's followed or it's preceded by the words, don't be ignorant. Don't be ignorant. Be aware. Know what's happening in the world around you. You have to open your eyes and you have to see what's taking place. You see, Psalms 94, as we start reading in those verses, what happens is this psalmist is aware. He sees the injustice taking place in the world around him. He sees people dying. He sees people hurting. And the church is experiencing persecution like you and I have never experienced before. The church isn't hiding. And he says it. They're murdering widows and foreigners. They're killing orphans. And the psalmist is aware enough of his surroundings to recognize it, to perceive the injustice. And what does he do? He doesn't bury his head in the sand. You see, our world is, is riddled with injustice. We just have to stop pretending that it's not happening. Guess what? Racism is a problem. It's a problem. And just because you've never felt its effects does not mean it's not an issue. Sexism is a problem. Ageism is a problem. Homophobia is a problem. Anti-Semitism is a problem. All these issues and all these things that we hear about that you wanna try to, to bury away, you just don't wanna deal with, guess what? They're all problems because they all deal with people. And who did Jesus come to save? 
people. What was his, what was his primary focus while he was on the planet? It was people. He came to love people. See, justice is the mission of Jesus. That was his goal. Look at what Psalms chapter 89 says. Verse 14, it says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Righteousness is being made right with God. Justice is being made right in the world around you. It's making things right. That's what Jesus came to do. And unfortunately, we've, we've made it something that it's not. In our world, when you hear social justice, many of you automatically, again, depending on kind of where you are at in the political sense, where you've experienced in your own life, when you think social justice, too many of us automatically go black versus white. We go gay versus straight, male versus female. You oversimplify it and you forget it's not politics, it's people. Don't get caught up in that. If you've been paying attention, right? If you're aware of what's happening around you, maybe you've seen that over the course of the last several weeks into the months, right? There's a, there's a conflict currently going on as you and I sit here in the, in the nation of the Ukraine, right? Russia is attacking the Ukraine. And, and while it's easy to kind of sit back in our lazy boys and watch what's happening on the TV, it's also very easy to forget that it's confirmed fact there are over a million people, men, women, and children that have been forced out of their homes, out of the places that they've spent their entire life, they've been forced to leave their nation, to flee to another nation, because if they don't, they know they will die. It is a humanitarian crisis. And it's one of the greatest injustices that's happening in our world today. But you see, it's not just a Ukrainian thing, just like it's not just an American thing. I looked it up because I was curious. Today, as we sit here, there are currently civil wars taking place in Iraq, Syria, Libya, Yemen, Chad, Nigeria, Pakistan, Somalia, South Sudan, and the Democratic Republic of the Congo. People killing people, people hurting people. You see, the history of social justice is the history of humanity. You can spin the globe, put your finger anywhere you want it to land and go back to any point in human history and the one thing you're guaranteed to see every single time is people hurting people. What you're guaranteed to see is things aren't right, things are broken, things are fallen and that's what the word tells us is gonna happen. So we as Christ followers then, we have to perceive be aware and be conscious of what's happening in the world around us. The psalmist was in Psalms 94. He was aware. Second thing we have to do, once we perceive that injustice is happening, second thing we have to do is we have to personalize that injustice. Keep reading, picking up in verse 12. The psalmist writes, joyful are those you discipline, Lord, those you teach with your instructions. You give them relief from troubled times until a pit is dug to capture the wicked. The Lord will not reject his people. He will not abandon his special possession. Judgment will again be founded on justice and those with virtuous hearts will pursue it. And then look at verse 16. All of a sudden it flips. The psalmist isn't just writing about widows and orphans and foreigners. All of a sudden he shifts the conversation to become very personal. He says, who will protect me from the wicked? Who will stand up for me against evildoers? 
Unless the Lord had helped me, I would soon have settled in the silence of the grave. I cried out, I'm slipping. But your unfailing love, O Lord, supported me. When doubts filled my mind, your comfort gave me renewed hope and cheer. Can unjust leaders claim that God is on their side? Leaders whose decrees permit injustice? They gang up against the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord is my fortress. My God is the mighty rock where I hide. See, things get different. Yeah, you can clap at that. See, things get different when things get personal. We even have a saying in our world, right? If you're gonna say something that you know is gonna hurt somebody or make somebody mad, we, we try and preempt that statement by saying something to the effect of, hey, don't take it personal. And anytime you say that word, guess what happens? They're gonna take it personal. Because it's impossible for something that's personal not to hurt. It's different, it changes things. And regardless of what we're talking about, and you can take any of the issues we've discussed, see, an issue is only political until it's personal. Once you personalize something, everything's different. For several years now, there's been conversations and it just keeps popping up. I was watching the news yesterday and we still have people at our borders, right? And in some ways, it's it's normal immigration. We have people that are trying to leave their country, whether it be for economic reasons or whatever, they're trying to, to immigrate into our nation. But another hot topic that continually pops up is the, is the refugee conversation, right? It's not just people who wanna leave their, their homeland for a better opportunity, but refugees are, are people who are trying to come into our country, not just to make more money or live a better life, but they're trying to come into our country because if they stay where they are, just like the Ukrainians, they know they're gonna die. And I'll be honest, for a long time, I had, a, I had an opinion on what we should do with refugees. Because how many of y'all know we got some issues in this country? We're, we're messed up, we're broken. I don't care what wing you're flying with, like there's some issues and we need to focus like internally a little bit. And so there was a time where I had an opinion on, on the refugee issue. But a few years ago, me along with some of our students, Ty got to go, I had the opportunity to go and we were able to sit in the living room of a refugee family from Iraq who were forced out of their homes, right? Mom and two kids had to run one way while dad ran the other because the nation was coming to capture the father because he refused to, to fight in a war that he didn't believe in. And they knew if we're captured, we will be killed. And we had the opportunity, we sat in this family's living room, mom, dad, mom, daughter, son. We got to sit in their living room for about four hours. They fixed us a traditional Iraqi meal that filled up a table bigger than I've ever seen. Delicious, by the way. And we got to sit down and, and have a conversation with them. And we got to hear their story. And this was not a Christian family, they were a Muslim family. But it's amazing what happens when you have a conversation and all of a sudden you put a name and a face and you get personal with somebody. All of a sudden, we come home and two weeks later, I see an issue pop up where there are refugees requesting asylum in our country. And all of a sudden, I just don't see a group of people anymore. All of a sudden, I see Anmar. And I hear his story because guess what? It's not political anymore, it's personal. I didn't know if I was gonna share this or not, but I'm going to. 
My, my brother and sister-in-law for several years struggled with fertility and having a child of their own. But five years ago, they, they had the opportunity to adopt and they did. And they, they're like me. My brother may be, he may be watching, so forgive me for this, but he's more white than me. Like, I feel like I, I'm a little more tan. You know, he's, he's white, white. And uh, like pleated khakis white. And um, I'm just kidding. I shouldn't have said But when they had the opportunity to adopt, they adopted um, an African-American little boy and he is the most beautiful, sweet, like this kid is awesome. But I'll be honest, when all of a sudden my nephew was a little black boy, all of a sudden I had a different view on, on the race struggle that we see on the news. See, I mean, up until that point, like, not that I didn't like, like, try to empathize and sympathize, but like, I, how do I as a middle-aged white guy like understand the, the struggle of my black brothers and sisters? I don't know how to do that. Not that I don't want to, but then all of a sudden my nephew is African-American and all of a sudden I get real concerned with the future that he's gonna grow up in and how people are gonna look at him and how people are gonna treat him. All of a sudden it's personal to me. I see the issue differently. We have to personalize injustice. Why do we have to do that? Why, what would be the point of not just perceiving injustice, but personalizing injustice? Look at what Mark chapter 12, verses 29 through 31. This is Jesus speaking. You've heard this verses before. It says, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And then verse 31, he tells us that the second is equally as important as loving God. He says, to love your neighbor as yourself, for no other commandment is greater than these. How do you love your neighbor as yourself? It's a difficult thing to do. How do you love your neighbor as yourself? Put very simply, you personalize the issues they're dealing with. You see, I don't know and don't really care what profession you are. You can be a pastor on a stage, you can be a doctor or a nurse, you can be a, a lawyer, you can be a teacher, you can be a businessman, you can drive a truck for a living, but here's what I know. If somebody does or says something about your family, somebody hurts your wife, your kids, because you love them, guess what? You didn't just attack them, you came at me. And I know I got the pastor title in front of my name, but anybody ever tried to hurt my wife in front of me, somebody would be bailing me out of jail. They would, I would hurt somebody. I'm a big guy, I can do it. Now, I'm not saying that's the right move to make, but I will tell you that all of a sudden, when I, when I perceive an injustice is taking place and all of a sudden I personalize it, it's not that you're doing it to them, you're doing it to me. And for me to, to love my neighbor as myself, all of a sudden their issue, it's my issue. Their hurt, it's my hurt. Their injustice is my injustice. And all of a sudden when I perceive it differently and I personalize it, then we wanna fight back. Then it gets real. Then it's not just something where I sit back in my living room and watch it happen on a TV, but then then I wanna do something about it. The question is what do I do? 
What do I do when I see it in judgment? How do I deal with it? Once I'm aware, I know it's happening and I can relate to it. See, you can protest and there is a place for protesting. You can carry your signs and you can make your voice heard and, and that is valuable. You can protest and you can proselytize. You can do all that you can to try to convince somebody to change their opinion. You can use the Bible to do it. You can use science to do it. You can use humanity to do it. You can protest and you can proselytize. But do you know what the most important, the most powerful thing that you can do when you're trying to combat injustice? It's not just protesting and proselytizing, it's praying. We have to pray against injustice. Finishing up Psalms 94, look what the psalmist flips the script to. After he's, he's recognized that people are hurting and he's personalized the fact that, that he's involved in it, that it's impacting him too, all of a sudden he says, Psalms 94, verse 23, but he says, knowing all of that, God will turn the sins of evil people back on them. He will destroy them for their sins. For the Lord, our God, will destroy them. So I don't have time to get into it, but there's, there's two types of, of justice in our world. There's retributive justice and there's restorative justice. One seeks retribution, payback. We want people punished. That's retributive justice. Restorative justice seeks restoration, redemption, reconciliation. And when it comes to our view of justice, those people, when you hurt my people, I'm coming at you, guess what? That's, that's all retributive justice. And the problem with man's justice is it'll never be successful. At best, it's corrupt. And at worst, it's incomplete. You could, you could have your opportunity they said something, did something, or you can go to social media, I mean, you can blast them, you can keyboard warrior it all day. But guess what? Justice wasn't served. You didn't make things right, you made things worse. Somebody can do or say something to hurt my family and I can swing on them, I can throat punch them and I can put them on the ground. And I might feel good for about 10 seconds. But I didn't make things right, I made things worse. Because you see, justice doesn't belong to me. Justice isn't yours and justice isn't mine. Justice belongs to the Lord. That's why Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 12, verses 18 through 21. He said, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. For in doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Do not let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. See, the struggle with us and our humanity is when, when people we love, our brothers and our sisters, when we see an injustice happen and we recognize it and we personalize it, we want that punishment, we want them to suffer. You want that. There's this phrase, maybe you've heard it. 
And we almost kind of make light of it, right? It, throw, it finds its way into movies and maybe you've said it kind of joking, but even if you like say it from like truly a place of hurt and anger, there's, maybe you've heard somebody say, you know what, they can go to hell. And when people say that, they, what they're saying is I want you to feel the pain. I want you to hurt. But for us as Christ followers, if we could really understand what that statement means, the hate, there is no Jesus in that statement. There is no love, there is no kindness, there is no mercy in that statement. It should, it should break our hearts to know that anybody would follow that path. It doesn't matter how good they've been to you or how terrible they've been to you. In our humanity, we know there are some people who will never repent of their sins, they'll never say they're sorry, they'll never, they'll never make it right with God. And scripture is very clear that one day they will stand in judgment before God and they will be eternally separated from Him. But scripture also makes it clear and there's a whole list of heroes of the faith that we can name that are in this path, that there's a whole lot of people that have, that have hurt people, that have done terrible things, that through not retributive justice, but restorative justice, that God moved on their life and He changed their heart. And instead of them being punished, they were reconciled and redeemed. And instead of them having to carry the weight of their sin and their shame and their suffering, that the ultimate goal of God's justice is that Jesus would carry the weight of their sin and their shame and their suffering. And for you and I as Christians, the, the former should break our heart and we should pray every single day for the latter. Justice does not belong to you. I know you want to. Vengeance is God's. Justice only belongs to Him. You are not the judge and you are not the jury. There's only one whose justice is true. And if you could really see yourself the way you try to see other people, you would be really thankful for His love and His kindness and His mercy and His grace. Because none of us measure up. Injustice is happening all around us. And we as Christ followers, the hands and feet of Jesus on this planet, we are not called to bury our head in the sand and pretend that it's not happening. We have to perceive the injustice. We have to personalize the injustice. And then we have to pray that God would intervene, that He would change hearts, that He would change lives because He's the only one that can do it. Amen. Justice belongs to God. Let's pray. Father, we are living in such a difficult, broken time, Lord Jesus, that, that it can be overwhelming to, to even try and perceive all the injustice taking place in our world, God. But we know there are hurting people. We know there are people suffering, that, that bad things are happening to good people and bad things are happening to bad people. And God, I pray that today, Lord, that your spirit would move in us, that we wouldn't, that we wouldn't hide from it anymore, that we would understand we have a role to play and seeing things made right on this planet, God, that we are your hands and your feet. And if justice is your mission, then justice should be our mission. 
we should be bothered when we see things taking place, Father. And then when we do, Lord, I pray that, that we would have the strength to love people, all people. That we would walk humbly with all people, not acting like we have all the answers, that we have it all figured out, but that we would love people. Walk in kindness, Father. Your word tells us that it's kindness that leads people to repentance. God, we'll never see true justice take place by throwing bricks through windows and burning buildings, and attacking people. But Father, we truly pray, Lord Jesus, that your hand, that your spirit would move, that you would make things right because you're the only one that can. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.